Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. Chapter 14, the Apostle Paul starts off by reminding us that love, let love be your highest goal. That's how he starts off. Let love be your highest goal. One of my biggest concerns in ministry is seeing the gifts of the Spirit without the fruit of the Spirit being present. I believe this is a concern that Paul has within the church of Corinth. They love the gifts of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit seemed to be lacking in the church. And he's just really challenging them to you know, let love be your highest goal. Without the fruit of the Spirit, just having the gifts, gifts of the Spirit, it's really a recipe for disaster because we, if we don't do it out of love, then guess what? Paul says it's just like a clanging cymbal. Some people just see, seek out the gifts of the Spirit without considering the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Some seek out all the other gifts, but they don't seek out the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what really gives... Um, Stability to the gifts of the Spirit. Um, I don't believe they are either or or both and. Um, or I don't believe they're either or. I believe they're both and. And our goal is for the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit to be present in our lives. Um, just a reminder as we get started, I want to just kind of take a real quick highlight of what we've looked at the last couple weeks. Uh, chapter 12, the Apostle Paul writes about the gifts of the Spirit and their importance to the body of Christ, that, they, that we need the gifts of the Spirit in the body of Christ. To be able to continue to grow and develop, we need the gifts of the Spirit. Then in chapter 13, Paul reminds us of the greatest gift that we can attain is God's love. We can have all the other gifts that the Spirit offers, but if we don't have love, then our gifts are useless. Paul is encouraging us to practice the fruit of the Spirit which is the, the number one fruit of the Spirit is love, which is the greatest of all the fruits, and, and must lead the way in our life. Love must lead the way. If you want to write something down today as part of the message that you could take away and practice this week, let love lead the way in your life. When you're about ready to do something, think about it. Is love guiding me? Is love directing me? I'm not talking about, you know, <laughs> oh, I like this person. Not that kind of love. I'm talking about God's love. Agape love. Let me just clarify for everybody in the room here today. Now as we dive into chapter 14, we need to understand that there is some spiritual dysfunction that's happening in the church of Corinth. So you need to understand that that's just the background. You need to understand that Paul is writing to them because they wrote a letter to him and he's responding to their letter. And there is just some things that are going on in the church that he's having to speak directly to. And Paul encourages believers to desire spiritual gifts. But it appears that many have elevated in, in the church of Corinth the gifts of speaking in tongues as the most important. And so we're going to work, work our way through here. We're not going to read the entire chapter. It's a long chapter, so I've taken pieces to it. But I encourage everyone to read the entire chapter at some point today. But let's look at verses 2 and 3, or verses 2 through 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Let's take a moment 
And I just think we need to define what tongues is and what prophecies is that's found in this scripture. The Greek word for tongue is glossia, glossa or glossia, and it's defined as a language. Tongue is a language. Each nation is usually defined, if you go to a different nation, if you like to travel, you go to another country, many times you will discover they speak a different language than we speak. And so there's many times, and same thing in Paul's day, there was different languages in different districts and different countries around. Each nation is usually distinguished by a different language or tongue. The Apostle Paul is describing here in this text a heavenly language, not known to man except by the Spirit of God. Now, in Acts chapter 2, so we're going to do some study, guys, so just follow along with me today. In Acts chapter 2, we can read where the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, which is the Feast of Weeks. It was a celebration where we were going to celebrate uh, the, the, the abundance of the harvest that God has given to us. And so we bring grain offerings into Jerusalem, and people from all over, uh, Jewish people from all over different countries, would come back to Jerusalem every year and, and sacrifice or, or offer grain offerings to God and thank Him for your provision. Sometimes in our own lives, we need to thank God for the provision He's given us. That's why it's important that we sacrifice, that we give. So that was taking place in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And if you remember the story, Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he told the disciples, he said, go into Jerusalem and wait for the, the gift of the Holy Spirit that I'm going to send you. And so the disciples were in an upper room, it's called, that they were praying and just believing for what God was saying. And then all of a sudden, it says that tongues of fire came down on each person's head. And all of a sudden, they started speaking in a different language that they did not understand. A different tongue. So when we talk about speaking in tongues, it's speaking in languages, different tongue. Now while this was happening, all of a sudden there was the disciples and there was other people in the room. There was probably a hundred people there or so up in that room that were praying. All of a sudden they were being filled with the Holy Spirit. They started speaking in different languages. They didn't understand what they were saying. But all these visitors that were coming into Jerusalem, as they were passing by, as they were walking by, all of a sudden they're hearing in their language the mighty works of God. What? Who's saying that? And they're hearing all these different languages. Think about it. If you're walking by all these different languages, and all of a sudden you recognize when you're saying... Someone is speaking my language, and they're speaking about this God who is mighty, who is the creator of the heavens and earth. This is what's taking place. And then all of a sudden, it talks about in Scripture in Acts 2, where Peter steps out, and he starts to explain to all the people what's taking place. And it says in Scripture that 3,000 people were saved on that day. I, I wish there was a time machine where I could go back to that time. And experience that firsthand. Now the tongue or language that Paul is describing here in chapter 14. He is, it points to a heavenly language that is not understood by people. It is only understood by God. And only God's spirit can give interpretation of that. And we see this in verse chapter 2. Or in verse 2. Then in verse 3. Paul begins to share about prophecy. The Greek word for prophecy is propheteo. And it carries a couple meanings that are very similar. One is to foretell, meaning God gives us insight regarding the future. The second description of prophecy is according to Strong's Concordance, 
uh, is to set forth matter of divine teaching by special faculty. What does that mean, Pastor Tom? It means that God enlightens you by his Holy Spirit and gives you a revelation of his truth. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but all of a sudden, where I'm just either praying or I'm reading God's word, and all of a sudden, I just get this divine moment where God all of a sudden just downloads a, just a, a, a word to me. And it could be something personally for me. It could be something for the church. It could be something for someone else. I'm going, where did that come? Because I know it's not for me because I'm just not that smart. And all of a sudden, God just gives me this word. I'm going, oh, my goodness. Wow, I've never seen that before. Sometimes that word is for me, for others, for the church. Paul is stating prophecy is greater in this passage of Scripture to the church in Corinth. Prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues. He states that in verse 5. Why? Because someone who prophesies is strengthening, encouraging, and comforting the body of Christ. Where speaking in tongues is building oneself up. And we're going to talk about this in a moment. Now this teaching might be new for some of you here today. And you're wondering, how does a speaking in a heavenly language encourage you? And many of you are like, how does that happen? How does that build me up? And I just let me, let me illustrate a personal story. I think it's about the best way I can share it um, from a personal experience of mine. My father, uh, David Westerfield, great man of God, pastor, uh, entrepreneur, um, he died in 2006, and my dad faced many trials towards the end of his life. Uh, we started thinking that his name was Job, okay, and so there was just a lot of things going on in his life. But I, before, I don't know what it had been, 2003 or so or whatever it was, uh, my dad was in Marysville, Washington, and he was crossing an intersection in the crosswalk, walking across it in the crosswalk, and he got hit by a drunk driver, and I uh, got thrown to the ground, pretty banged up, shoulder never ever broke, just shattered his shoulder, never was able to repair that. Hip was damaged, a lot of damage was done. And so he went through this recovery process of, of what was happening, just had lost his business. So there's probably four trials there. He just lost his business to 9-11, his travel business had to declare bankruptcy. And so then he was going through that, and then less than a year later, all of a sudden, Dad is having heart problems, and he has to go into the uh, hospital, and they recognize that he needs heart surgery, and they do a five-bypass on his heart. And so he has his five-bypass. He gets done with the five-bypass, and it's just a few weeks later, as they're checking him out, all of a sudden they discover that he has a big mass in his throat, and they discover cancer. So this all happens within a 14-month period of time where Dad is hit by a drunk driver. It's talked about... Loses his business, hit by a drunk driver, uh, um, has this heart deal, and then has cancer. And I remember going to Cream Creek, Arizona, where they were living at the time. And uh, our family traveled over there. We were living in Vegas at the point. And we got to Cream Creek, and I walked into Mom and Dad's house, and Mom greeted me at the door. And I said, where's, where's Dad? And she goes, he's out in the backyard praying. Now, if I start to cry, just ignore it because I just get emotional on this part of it. So I will do my best not to. But dad was going through it. Dad had prayed all the prayers he could pray. Nothing was going according to his plan. Been there? I go into the back room, back by the kitchen, and I see dad out in the patio 
windows, the sliding glass door was closed. It's Arizona. It has to be closed. It's hot. And dad's out there, but heat for dad was like, he was at a point in his life where everything was cold, so he was out there. And you could just hear him speaking in tongues. You could just hear him praying. I couldn't understand what he was saying. He couldn't even understand what he was saying, but God could understand what he was saying. And I was watching him as he was praying. The countenance on him just lifted. All of a sudden, there was just a brightness to his life in, a, in, in the deepest and darkest time of his life. You see, what, we, what he was, had done is he had come to a point in his life where he no longer knew how to pray for himself. He didn't know what to pray for. And there's a time in our lives where we can just surrender that and just say, Lord, I just need you to pray for me in Jesus' name. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit actually prays for us. Can you imagine who better than God to pray on your behalf? And all of a sudden, Dad is out there praying. He comes in, and I could see that he had touched the presence of God. The Bible states, and you wonder how this happened, the Bible states the Holy Spirit, in Romans 8, 26, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. My dad no longer knew how to pray or what to pray. He had been praying for answers that were not lining up, and he was, he was going, Lord, take over. And the Holy Spirit prayed through him. This is what Paul is talking about in verse 4. The person who speaks in tongues or in languages is building themselves up or strengthening themselves. They might not know uh, what they are saying, but they feel God's prayer on their behalf. But Paul continues from verse 6 to explain how the other gifts are superior to tongues because they strengthen the body of Christ through knowledge, through teaching, through revelation. And the only exception of that is when there is an interpretation of tongues. And Paul explains that. If someone gives the gift, uh, a message in tongues, that there, would be, there needs to always be an interpretation. If, 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 so that happens and you go, Pastor Tom, this, I'm not, I, don't know any, I don't understand any of this. It's in the Bible. And I don't believe the gifts have ceased. Some do, but I don't believe that at all. <clears throat> the gifts will cease when we see Jesus face to face. We, don't not, we no longer need him at that point. Um, I got lost by train of thought. We'll come back. Um, Paul continues to explain by sharing regarding speaking in tongues without an interpretation of tongues. He explains about how instruments, if not played clearly, will sound horrible. Um, and he gives a couple of illustrations about that. Um, how many have ever been to an elementary recital? You know, you, you're sitting out in the audience, you see the different kids up there, and they all have these different instruments that they're going to play, and one by one come, taking, they take the stage and they start playing, and maybe it's the piano, maybe it's... And some of them, like, some of them I've seen, like, seven, like, that's amazing. That's crazy. How can they do that? They're so good at such a young age. I can't do any of it. But there's always the one. There is always the one. Either plays the violin or maybe the flute. And they get up there and, oh, it's rough. 
It's really rough. And you're trying your best to smile. You're trying your best to keep eye contact because you want to encourage that gift. You don't want to discourage a child, you know. Who, I mean, that would be horrible, you know, to discourage. And so you're trying your best. But the greatest part of the recital for that person is when it stops. You know what I'm saying? Because you can't recognize the song. You can't recognize the melody. You have no idea what they're playing. Paul is revealing to the church in Corinth, this is what happens when, they come, when they're coming together at this point and they're just speaking over on top of each other. It's mayhem. People are speaking in tongues, but there's no interpretation. And it's just like, it's like, it's like that, a concert where you can't understand what's taking place. Listen to verse 9. So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. The Apostle Paul is trying to reestablish order within the church of Corinth because it appears that there was little teaching to build up the believers. Now let me state clearly, I think I've already done it, but I'm going to state it one more time. By no means is Paul trying to discount the importance of speaking in tongues. But the church in Corinth had elevated above all the other gifts, and Paul was trying to bring correction to that. Listen to Paul's words in verses 18 and 19. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So Paul is immediately saying, hey, I practice in my own life. Uh, when, when I don't know how to pray, when I'm in my, might be in his private, you know, in his privacy, he's just praying to God and he's speaking in tongues because he wants God, he wants someone greater than him to pray for him. Come on, pretty cool gift. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue or a different language. Paul is not trying to discourage the gifts, but he's placing priority on them. Look at verses 23 through 25. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are all out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling to his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Throughout Scripture, we see people surrender their lives to Jesus through the teaching and the testimony of his word. Even when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, it was Peter who stepped out and began to teach about what was happening. Because some travelers who were passing by heard, heard about the mighty works of God in their own language, but others were accusing the disciples that they were drunk. So they're walking by, some were understanding, they go, what in the world is happening? Others weren't understanding anything, and when the disciples came out, you guys are just drunk, it's early in the morning, why are you guys drunks like that? And then Peter... I had some relatives that way. Peter preaches a powerful message. Not any that are watching today. Peter is preaching a powerful message that pierces the hearts of those listening. This is what Paul was writing about. Prophecy, preaching, teaching are the gifts that are priority to the body of Christ. I've had people approach me after I've shared a message on a Sunday morning saying, how did you know what I was struggling with in, my, in this area of my life? How did you know, Pastor Tom, that I was struggling in this area of my life? I look at him and I said, I didn't know. God did. I had no clue. God did. And what they're really experiencing is they were experiencing a prophetic word 
that was entering into their life and challenging them in an area of their life that was not pleasing to God. And God was literally using me as an instrument to speak into their heart and into their life that, hey, this is, this is what God desires for us. And it was convicting them. The Holy Spirit does that in our lives. It's a good thing, guys. It's a good thing. We need to embrace more of it. Why does God do that? Why does God have prophecy? Why does God have words of wisdom? Why does God have these revelations that come? Because God loves you. Because God loves you. It's just like a father speaking to a child. One of my, man, one of the most fun times this morning that I had is I had Vinny in my hands, my arms. And uh, when we walked by Danielle, he wanted to stay with Opa. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, talk about. And so we were able to pray together. We just walked around here where Brett, Pastor Brett was sharing about how we pray in the morning. We were, I was just walking through and praying. And I had him in my arms, and I was just thinking, oh, this is amazing. See, God loves to have you in his arms. He loves to be able to speak truth and life to you. And he will use all the different gifts to be able to speak those to you. Remember our series, One for All and All for One. God is for you, not against you. We're going to transition into the second half of chapter 14. And I know that some, uh, one of the persons that I was greeting this morning, uh, I'm going to call out his name, Chris. He was uh, uh, ahead of me. He said, well, how are you going to tackle this one, Pastor Tom? I said, hey, just wait. We're going to tackle it. We're just not going to talk about it. No, we're going to keep going. Here we go. The New Testament church at times were meeting in, in different homes. And so you've got to understand that they didn't have a big gathering like this as much. I would say there would be more like our life groups. They were probably meeting in groups, that, a large life group like 20, 25 people in a home. They were meeting and they were worshiping and praising God and, and giving testimony to one another. And, and uh, as we know, the church in Corinth was struggling with orderly worship. So Paul gives instructions about how they can improve their time together. And you can read those instructions in verses 26 through 32 if you'd like. I'm not going to take time today. But remember, this is really important as we read the New Testament, as we read God's Word. Remember, they don't have the New Testament. They have the Old Testament. And actually, very few probably actually had the Old Testament. They, they heard it when they went into synagogue, but they probably didn't actually have a copy of the Old Testament. A lot of it was maybe they had a few pages or they had memorized it, but they didn't have the Old Testament. They are the New Testament. There is no New, they are the New Testament. It's being written as they are living. They're the New Testament. So it's really important that we remember that because sometimes we want to judge them a little harder than we should because, hey, guess what? That's why the Holy Spirit came upon them and was given to them because they needed that teaching, that help by the power of the Holy Spirit, just like we need today. Um, Paul then gives the reason for his instructions in verse 33, and I love this. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth because there's a lot of confusion going on. He said, God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace. Um, he reminds us in verse 32, Paul reminds us that everyone that that is there, each person is in control of their own spirit. Basically stating, everyone can take turns. Don't interrupt each other. Uh, Paul puts it in a very spiritual way, but he's put it very basic. Hey, don't interrupt each other. Don't talk over one another. Now, if you've been reading ahead, some of you are dying to find out what I'm going to say about verses 34 and 35 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I hear laughter already. I decided to skip that today. So we're, uh, no, I'm not. Let's just dive into it. 
uh, one of the, probably the most controversial scriptures found in the Bible. And, uh, and let's just, we're going to be starting by reading verse 33 again through verse 35. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not, good thing that no man said amen at that point. That was really good, guys. Uh, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful, or some translations say, it is improper for a woman to speak in church. So let's begin with a disclaimer. I read a lot of commentaries. I read a lot of biblical scholars on this. And I'm just telling you right now, nobody is 100% sure of what Paul is meaning fully in this passage of Scripture. We can have our opinions, but because the Scripture seems to conflict with other passages, it's difficult to know exactly what Paul is dealing with in the church of Corinth. The first point, because you've got to understand there's a little bit of culture going on in this as well. The first point that I want to share with you today uh, is that in the original Greek manuscripts, really important, and this is, Pastor Tom, why you just follow along. Next week we'll have a good, good fun time and messages, but this is important. In the original Greek manuscripts, there is no punctuation. There's no commas, there's no periods, there's no end of sentences. It's just written out. So biblical scholars and translators have put the periods, the commas, and everything into the Bible that we read today. So the statement, I share this for a reason, that statement, as in all the churches of the saints, could be tied to either the first part of that, the sentence before, or it could be tied to the second, the, the next sentence. And let me share what I mean. It could say, as in all the churches of the saints, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And the NIV in the New Living Translation translates it more that way. The ESV translates it more this way, which is what I'm reading today. It says, as in the churches of the saints, comma, the women should keep uh, silent in the churches. And like I said, the New Living, the uh, NIV translate the first way, the ESV translate the second way. Me personally, my opinion, I lean towards the NIV and the New Living Translation on this passage of Scripture. My reasoning is, there, is that there are other references in Scripture where, where women are encouraged to prophesy and to speak. So it doesn't make any sense why Paul would say women should be silent in the church. And yet, in, in fact, just in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, Paul tells them that, hey, when you prophesy, make sure that your head is covered. So it seems like, wait a minute, how could he be saying this thing and then all of a sudden he says women should be quiet in the church? There's something going on here. We don't understand completely everything that's going on. But I wanted to say it would be contradictory to the Apostle Paul to completely say that unless he's speaking to an exact, a specific situation. Um, the other thing, you know, just biblical. And so, ladies, if you don't understand what I'm doing right now, I'm defending you right now. So I want to hear some loud amens from all the ladies. In Joel chapter uh, 2, verse 28, the prophecy that the early church believed was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost included women prophesying. Joel says in 2.28, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Not some flesh, not a few people, all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Then there is in Romans chapter 6, which is another book that the Apostle Paul penned, he writes about two female leaders in the church. First, who is Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church. 
And the second one is Junia, who is either admired by the other apostles or she is an apostle herself, depending on what translation you read. But this bottom line for all what I'm sharing right now, I believe Paul is for women, not against them. So I just want to share that because that passage of Scripture, I think, puts, paints Paul in a negative connotation. So it seems that Paul is responding to an issue that is happening within the church of Corinth. And remember, this entire passage deals with disorder in the church. That's what the entire passage is talking about. Most biblical scholars believe that these instructions were given directly to wives, not necessarily to all women, which is interesting thought. If you view it, view it why are you spending this much time, Pastor Tom? Because when you get to that passage of Scripture and you read that, I need you to understand what Paul's talking about. If you view it from, the, from that perspective, that he's talking to the wives and not to all women, if you consider that, Paul encourages the believers to, if you consider that in, earlier in the scripture, that Paul encourages the believers to evaluate what is being spoken during their time together. When someone is prophesying, when someone's given a word, evaluate it together. Make sure, because they don't have the New Testament to evaluate it with. They're doing that live. So what could have been happening was that Husbands and wives were discussing or arguing over different prophecies being spoken while someone is speaking. Paul was stating, we don't know for sure, I'm just, that's just an idea. Paul was stating church is not the place to do so. That wives should wait until they are home and ask their husbands those questions. Can you imagine, while Pastor Tom is preaching today, if all the married couples in the church you hear what Pastor Tom said? They're talking to their husband. Can you, can you believe it? I don't know that he, yeah, he's way off in left field today, isn't he? Man, he is crazy. And if everybody was talking, can you imagine the disruption in the service? It'd be very hard to really focus or concentrate. And Paul is saying, wait, 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 let's just wait. That's an idea. That's a thought that maybe has taken place. We don't really understand completely what's happening. Um, don't get any ideas. Don't start all of a sudden talk. Wait till you get home about Pastor's message. Paul finishes in verse 40 with these words, and I love these words. But all things should be done decently and in order. And really that is what Paul is talking about throughout this whole passage of Scripture. What's our takeaway, Pastor Tom, for this message? Well, a lot of it was teaching today. But I guess our takeaway is this, and this is something that you can put into your life. God is not a God of confusion. God is a God of order. If there's times where you're feeling confused as we're, as we're gathering together, guess what? That's not God. That's maybe not our understanding. But God is a God of order. And God desires that we have order and unity when we come together to worship him. He doesn't want us to be all, all breaking out this way, this direction, whatever else. He wants us to be one church, the body of Christ. We are called not to be divided, we are called to be unified as the body of Christ. And that's what Paul is really trying to help the church in Corinth to understand and to believe. That you can have the gifts of the Spirit, but make sure that you have the fruit of the Spirit. Because without love, guess what? It doesn't work. So yes, the gifts of the Spirit, we should desire them. We should pray for them. Because they will help you. But make sure that when you have the gifts of the Spirit, you're doing it in a loving and orderly fashion. So that everybody can be encouraged and blessed. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
Um, we're going to take communion today. We take communion on the first Sunday of every month. Thank you for being here today and sharing. And that, this was a kind of a tough word today um, in 1 Corinthians 14. But you know what's kind of fun to think about is that we are the body of Christ. And we can have messages, we can have worship, we can, in the church we can have disagreements, but then we can come together as one in the body of Christ. Amen? That's what the apostle, uh, or that's what the apostle, that's what Jesus was doing on that last day with the disciples. You know, the disciples came from all different backgrounds. Um, one was a tax collector, Matthew. There was a zealot who meant that, he, you know, he was kind of against the whole thing of Rome, and he was a fighter, and he wanted to go out and, you know, Peter, a fisherman, John, fisherman. They, were, they came from all different types of lifestyles, different thinking, different patterns, and Jesus chose 12 of them. One was a betrayer. And I think about that in that upper room, what it must have felt like in that moment when uh, Jesus brought them all together and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup represents my blood that, was, that will be shed. They don't understand what it was talking about, but it's going to be poured out. It's going to be poured out for each and every one of you. Do this in remembrance of me. The greatest thing that Jesus was sharing with us, that he loves us and was willing to sacrifice everything for you and for me. And so we take communion on a, a monthly basis, first Sunday of every month, to remember the great sacrifice that Jesus gave us. Amen? Um, go ahead and open up the bottom, and there's a little piece of bread in the bottom there. That piece of bread represents the body of Jesus Christ. And worship team, come on up to the platform. I know I didn't take time to pray, but I'm running a little bit late. We're going to pray at the very end. The bread represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. Sometimes as we take communion, we just rush through it. But if you think about the sacrifice, if you think about that Jesus was whipped, he was beaten for you and for me. Um, why? Because he loves us. The word of God says that by, your, by his stripes we are healed. What does that mean, Pastor Tom? Well, first I think the most important thing, by his stripes, guess what? We have healing, we have salvation, we have forgiveness of sins, we have the ability to be able to communicate with our Heavenly Father. But I also believe that God brings healing into our lives in every area of our lives, emotionally, physically, spiritually, in every way, God knows you and cares for you and he loves you. Amen? Amen. Um, I want us just to stand today as we take communion. We're going to end with worship here in just a moment. But I want you to hold the bread. And I want to pray right now over each and every one of us. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you were willing to sacrifice your life on the cross that you gave up your body for each and every one of us. And God, today we celebrate you. We worship you. And we say thank you for your sacrifice. We take this bread in our hand and we remember, Lord God, that it was through your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, will you take the bread? The cup represents 
the blood of Jesus. The word of God says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And I've walked through this before. But the Old Testament is full of animal sacrifices. It was to appease God for the sins of mankind. And it was ongoing over and over and over again. And, Jesus, and God said enough and he sent his one and only son from heaven to earth. And his son became the human sacrifice for all mankind. Jesus was the only one that could make this sacrifice for you and for me. Why? Because first of all, he was perfect. He was sinless. There was no sin in Christ. And he came... And he was willingly was offered his life as a sacrifice for us. So when his blood was shed on that cross, it was a sacrifice for all of eternity. It makes you and me right with God if we put our faith in him. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have a natural relationship with God. He looks at us not through our sin, but through Christ's righteousness. Man, I'm so grateful for that. There's times I feel like dirt, the scum of the earth. Pastor Tom, just saying, there's times. And in those times, I walk in and I remember the righteousness of Christ. And I say it is not upon my righteousness because they're but filthy rags before our Heavenly Father. It is upon His righteousness that I have salvation in Jesus Christ. And so I stand in faith, not in myself, but I stand in faith with Jesus Christ. And that is what Jesus is telling the disciples on that last day, on the Last Supper. He said, I am pouring out my blood for each and every one of you. Today we have the opportunity to take this in remembrance of what Christ did for each and every one of us. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you, Lord, that it is upon the shedding of blood that we find the forgiveness of sins. Today each and every one of us, Lord God, once again, recommits and says, Lord God, our faith is in you and you alone. And we are so grateful that you are walking with us each and every day. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Will you take the cup? Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, for all your goodness. We thank you, God, for your grace. We thank you for your abundance. We thank you, God, that in those times where we see destruction and pain and, 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 and sorrow and we don't think there's any way out, God, you bring victory. You're the victorious God for each and every one of us. And so, God, we stand before you, Lord God, humbled but righteous in you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are and all that you do in each and every one of our lives today. In Jesus' name. Everyone said?